Thank you. It's good to, to be with you again. Please find in your notes uh, the outline that's called Video Case Observation Session 1. <clears throat> Let me outline our course of action for the next uh, uh, couple of hours. Uh, what we're going to do is, uh, <clears throat> in just a moment, I'm going to introduce the DVD of a session that I conducted a few years ago. And um, we've been talking about biblical counseling since last night. What we're going to do now is we're going to show you a counseling session. And this will take about uh, just an hour, just a little bit more than an hour. And then afterwards, uh, I'm going to come up and we're going to go through it together. And I'm going to answer some of the frequently asked questions that come up as a result of it. But there's also going to be time for you to give input and the time for you to, to ask questions and for many people, these last uh, hour, hour and 45 minutes or so that we're going to be together, for many people is when what's been taught clicks. All right? So I want to purpose encourage you to stay right till the end, and uh, I think you'll be glad that you did. So if you look at the outline, at the, the, the notes, it says, This DVD will show a biblical counselor at work in the first session of a counseling case. You will benefit the most if you pay attention to the process of counseling. List below the ways the counselor addressed the six key skills of effective biblical counseling. Be alert to the order of events, to terminology used, to the length of time given to various segments, and especially how the counselees were pointed toward Christ and his word. So, as I think in terms of... Uh, what I taught you earlier about progressive sanctification, if I'm going to use some biblical counseling terminology, let me talk to you about some put-offs and put-ons right now, okay? I want to exhort you to put off the watching TV mentality. In other words, don't lean back, don't spread out your arms, don't punch your wife to go get the popcorn. Uh, also, I want to exhort you, put off the weariness that sometimes comes after you've been sitting for a long time and have been enjoying lots of good food and refreshments and the time of day. Just put put that off. And also I would exhort you, put off thinking about the duties you're going to pick up once you start heading home. Okay, put that off right now. What I want to encourage you to put on is study the process of counseling. Uh, most people find this to be an interesting case, and I want you to pay attention to the circumstances, but pay attention primarily to the process of counseling. Study what happens when they walk in and sit down. What happens after I pray? What happens after I ask a question? And, and notice, the, study it for the process of counseling. And then especially use your sheet to, to make notes about the six key elements and how you see those playing out. And then when this is over, <clears throat> I'll come back and we're going to work our way through it in a way that I think you'll find very edifying. Before we start, let me lead us in prayer <clears throat> and then... Um, Catherine will come and we'll get started. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you'll use uh, the DVD that we're about to observe to help equip these brothers and sisters, to give them confidence that they can use your word to minister to people and to give real lasting solutions to the difficulties of life. Help them to understand how so many things that have been taught in the hours we've been together come together at this time. We ask for your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Excited about that. Hopefully, yeah. catch a game this year. Good, good. Come on in. Yeah.
This is where we'll be talking. Go ahead and have a seat. Okay. <coughs> Good to be with you. Well, Me too. Well, hello, folks. It's good to meet you today. Uh, how did you happen to hear about our counseling ministry here at the church? Well, Trey's coworker. Yeah, Kathy. She uh, had had some problems with her daughter, and they came in, and so she recommended that we try y'all out. Great. Good. Good. Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, I've taken time to look over the forms you filled out. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Yours are filled out uh, completely, and that's very helpful to me. Um, as we get started today, let me just kind of describe in broad terms what I hope to get accomplished in this uh, first hour that we're together. Anytime I have the privilege of meeting somebody for the first time, like I am with you folks today, there's one verse in the Old Testament that really impacts how I use this time. And that verse is Proverbs 18, verse 13. Here's what it says. He that answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. Now, what that verse means is this. God says that if I try to give you advice without taking time to understand completely what's been going on in your life, God says I'm a fool. And I would probably give you lousy advice. Well, I don't want to be a fool in God's eyes, and you folks don't want lousy advice. So what that means is I need to take time today to ask questions, to really get to understand your circumstances as best I can. What I need from you folks in this hour particularly is that you would just really be open and honest with me and not send me on a fishing expedition for the truth. If you do, I'll go fishing. But then it just takes me that much longer to get to the answers that uh, I'm sure you want. And by God's grace, um, at the end of the hour, I hope that I can give you at least some initial direction to get us moving toward long-term solutions for these issues that you're that have brought you here today. Okay. Now, I'm very much aware of the fact that I need God's help, and so let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll charge ahead. Okay? Father, I thank you now for the privilege I have of being with Trey and Deb. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd help them to be comfortable with me, help them to be open and honest. Uh, Lord, help them as they seek to put into words what they've been thinking and experiencing. I would ask that you would help me to guide the session with wisdom and discernment, And most of all, Lord, help me to minister your word in such a way that they would gain hope and encouragement and direction that can only come from you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Alrighty, I'd like to get started um, by having each of you give me a brief life history. And I'd like you to start back with where you were born and raised, tell me a little bit about the kind of home you were brought up in, and then kind of put your life in chronological order. And we got a lot to get done today, so I'm going to have to settle for the Reader's Digest version. Kind of hit the high point. Uh, what I'm interested in knowing are the people or the circumstances that shaped your life and led you to be the kind of person you are now that maybe influenced kind of how you look at life uh, the way you do now. And, uh, you know, start back at the beginning and kind of bring me up to where you are right now. And it kind of helps me if I can hear it in chronological order. Trey, I'd like to start with you. So let's uh, have you get us going. Okay. Um, I grew up in Hamilton, Ohio. And uh, that's uh, kind of near the Cincinnati area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm my mom and dad, their marriage was not a great marriage. I have 
two brothers and one sister, all younger. I was the oldest, and so I probably had the greatest view of their marriage. And like I said, it wasn't a strong marriage. There was a lot of fighting, uh, a lot of just general strife in the marriage. And uh, my, my brother Matt and I, he and I, we watched a lot of the fights, and sometimes we thought they were pretty funny, but I don't think we really understood everything that was going on. But anyway, I so that was going on all while we were growing up, and uh, high school, I kind of got involved uh, in things like drama and stuff like that. Um, journalism was an interest of mine. Um, went to college. Um, I went to college in Ohio at Ohio State, and then came to... What you major in at Ohio State? Uh, business. And then I came to Purdue and got my MBA. And so that was not too long ago. I got my MBA just a few years ago. Okay. Right, right before. Actually, we were. I was getting my MBA when Deb and I met. So. Okay. And what kind of work are you doing now? Uh, right now, I'm a payroll administrator for a firm called um, McClure Industries. I kind of do support work for wireless communication systems. Um, as you were growing up, um, in a particular religious background, or you didn't say anything about that? Yeah, um, I grew up Catholic, and um, when I was a sophomore in college, I never really, uh, never really connected with the Catholic Church. Uh, but I was searching when I was in college, and a guy from Campus Crusade for Christ actually sat down with my roommate and I and uh, he explained the gospel to us. I really wasn't ready to do anything with it, but it was the first time in my life that I understood that I was a sinner, that Christ had died for me personally, and that I could have my sins forgiven and that I could be um, in heaven and I could know with certainty that I would be in heaven when I died. So about a a year later is when I finally made the commitment to trust Christ. uh, Do do you have confidence that if you were to die uh, today that you would go to heaven? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you stood before God and he were to say to you, Trey, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you'd say? I would say because Jesus Christ died for my sins and apart from the sacrifice that he's made for me, I have no hope. All of my hope is in what Christ did for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And since that time, what has been your affiliation with a, a, a local church or religious organizations? Well, I'll be honest, I haven't been as faithful as I know I ought to be. Um, I went to a non-denominational, a non-denominational church when I was uh, in college and since coming to Purdue I I just I really haven't gotten connected with the church and since we've been married we've been attending uh, Fairway Christian Church Um, and so and on a normal month how many services would you attend at that church I'd say uh, two to three Okay. Uh, how many times did you read your Bible last week? Um, I didn't really read it last week. Okay. What about the week before? 
maybe twice. Once, probably. Okay. All right. Uh, Deb, help me get to know you. Well, uh, I'm actually from Lafayette, born and raised here. And I have one older sister and one younger. And uh, I actually just became an aunt again. My sister, older sister, had uh, baby boys a few days ago. Congratulations. So, thank you. I'm very excited about that. And, uh, well, I actually went to school here in Lafayette, went to Purdue, and then... What was your major at Purdue? Communication, media, and theater. It was all lumped into one. Okay. And uh, so I graduated then, and I started working at a place that's called Title First, Mm -hmm. Title Agency here in town, and I've been processing files for them. Okay. Do you enjoy your work? Yeah, there are times when it's kind of tedious and you just do a lot of the same thing over and over again. So it's kind of monotonous at times. But I like the people that I work with, and that makes a difference. You didn't comment at all about, uh, you'd comment on your sister. You didn't say anything about your parents' marriage and the kind of home you grew up in. What was that like? Well, um, I would say that it was, my parents spent a lot of time focused on us as their children so I didn't really see them communicate with each other that much it was just mostly with us so I don't really know I know it's probably not a great marriage but I'm just not in on a lot of things sometimes I hear things like my mom will say things about my dad or, but mm-hmm. they don't really spend a lot of time talking to each other mm-hmm. Are they still married? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Why don't you tell me about how the two of you met and uh, how your relationship developed and leading up to the marriage and so forth? Okay. Well, we, we met at a party. Right. And uh, we have a mutual friend, so it's, a, it's actually actually our friend that referred us here, Kathy. She was working with Deb, and she was taking a class over at Purdue. Um, she's auditing one, and she was having a party, and she invited both of us over. And so we we met at the party. Okay. And I read this earlier, but I forgot. You uh, dated how long before you were married? We dated about a year. I mean, that included the engagement. Okay. And you were married June 5th of 99. Right. Um, Deb, you didn't say anything about your religious background growing up either. Uh, well, um, my parents go to church every Sunday, so we went. And uh, what kind of church? It was just a Christian church. It was the Creekside one that oh, okay. I visited. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, the summer, <coughs> excuse me, the summer that I I was ten. I remember this. Um, I went to a camp, a summer camp. I've never done that before. And uh, I got to know this one counselor fairly well. Her name was Kim. She was kind of in charge of us. And she um, worked a lot with us through that week of just a lot of having fun. But she talked about God a lot and about Christ. And so uh, I remember really talking to her because I felt like she was somebody that I could really talk to because she was so cool, you know. And so she, um, I remember praying with her. And that's when I accepted Christ. 
Okay. Do you have confidence that if you were to die, that you would go to heaven? Yes. All right. If you uh, stood before God and he asked you, Deb, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you'd say? I would say because of what Christ did for me on the cross. Okay. Let me ask you a couple questions I asked uh, Trey. How many times did you read your Bible last week? Last week, um, three times. Okay, and are you in any kind of a reading program, or just, or you just kind of open up and start reading somewhere? Uh, yeah. I'm okay. How many times would you have read your Bible the week before that? The week before last? Uh, I try to do it at least three times, so pretty good. Okay. All right. Now, what I want to do is I want to start a new uh, section here on my notes, and I'm going to call it the Issues or we could call it uh, areas of concern, or we could call it uh, talking points, or we could talk it, uh, about it as our agenda. And what I want to do now is kind of get the lay of the land in your life and your relationship. Um, I know we'll start with what you wrote here on your first, uh, your, your pink sheet, the basic information sheet. But I've learned that while it's usually one or maybe two problems that bring people in to sit down and talk to me, that nobody has just one or two problems in life. And sometimes our problems tend to overlap each other. And what I'd like to do right now is to make sure I, just, I understand the big picture about what's happening in your life. And I realize some of these are not going to be near as important as other issues. But again, I'm, I want to just understand I've got a good picture of what's happening in your life, what your concerns are, what your burdens are. And um, so we'll start with what's on here, but then we'll go beyond that. All right. Now, Trey, I want to start with you again. Uh, the first question is, what is the main problem as you see it? What brings you here? And you said, uh, we have constant conflict in our marriage. Would you explain that, please? Well, I'm fairly scared of the direction that our marriage is headed because it is a lot like my parents' marriage. We fight constantly. It is almost amazing to me to see how when we were dating and in the first year or so of our marriage I mean I, I thought boy this is great we're we're set we don't have any problems everything's uh, we're going to have a great marriage and it's going to be like this for the rest of our lives well after about the first year or so it's like something happened and I couldn't pinpoint an event but all of a sudden here come all these little issues popping up, and we fight on practically everything. Now, when you say you've used the word fight two or three times, describe a fight for me. When you, if I could video the two of you fighting, what would I see happening from your perspective? I'd say it starts out where we're discussing an issue, and usually I'm the one that raises it. Deb is really not one to communicate about these issues. In fact, sometimes I feel like I'm pulling teeth trying to get her to tell me what she's thinking or her opinion about a certain thing or why she's doing something. And once it gets started, uh, I'd say I I tend to, to really want to solve the problem to figure out why something is happening and, and to address what we can do to change that and Deb oftentimes will walk away 
from the argument and I'll follow her and I end up yelling and we'll end up yelling back at one another and um, Do you throw things? Um, I don't but Deb does Deb has thrown so true? <laughs> Yeah um, Do you strike each other? No No we have not Is that true? That. That's true. <clears throat> so, and you said this like constantly. Like, is this like an everyday experience? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It is rare that it yeah. does not happen. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. And things happen about stupid things too. I mean, stuff that such as. Uh, I can't think of anything right now. Like where we're going to spend the holidays. Uh, are we going to spend them with her family? Are we going to spend them with my family? Stupid things like, okay, do you want a fake tree or a live tree for Christmas? Yeah. I mean, stupid stuff like that. Right. That you look back afterwards and go, what was that about? But, okay. uh, Deb, he said that the the conflict really began manifesting itself after the first or second year of the marriage. Would you agree with that? Yeah. He said he could not remember any particular event that kind of fueled the increase in the arguing. Do, do you agree with that? Or are you able to re- well, point back to anything in particular? That I don't know if it was one particular event. Uh, I know I agree that it's just kind of something that happened. But uh, I do remember just a lot of strife right after um, we had visited my family over the holidays. And uh, my younger sister was there, too, and she lives in Arizona, so we don't get to see her very often. And it was like just my whole family was together again, and that hadn't happened for a while. And I guess I just really started to miss that, and I missed being around them more often. Mm-hmm. So I just... Her family is a big problem in our marriage. I just feel like, I mean, they live close by. They live closer than my family we're constantly visiting them. I, ju- I just feel like, why don't we all move in together? I mean, it's... I don't feel like I have the ability to be a, a, the leader in my own home. You know, I, I feel like I'm constantly living in the shadow of Deb's mom and dad, and primarily her dad. Are you surprised by what he's saying? Well, I mean, his family lives so far away. I mean, we might be able to see them more. I mean, it's like three hours. Okay, Okay. let's move on. Uh, Deb, what's another issue? Uh, We've talked about it. He talked about the conflict in the marriage that began, and then we've touched on the matter of of your family. Um, What's another issue? Another issue? Well, I guess finances would be that's something that we tend to not see eye to eye on. Explain that to me. <laughs> me or him? You. Me? Well, um, part of it is that I would like to quit my job and start a family. Uh, and, and yet she spends money like... Okay, let, let, let her finish. Go <laughs> Um, well, and Trey would like me to keep working to bring in that extra income. Um, there are times when I go to the mall, my friends are just shopping or whatever, and 
I'll buy something and bring it home and he gets upset. Do you folks have a, a, a written budget? No. We have tried to do that, but Deb never sticks to the budget. Is that true? Um, I, I, I'd have to go back and really look. It's, I don't. Yes, that's true. Do you recall having a written budget? Yes. Okay. I guess we just don't make a concerted effort to really follow it and keep track of everything and how long write ago, it all down. How long ago was it that you had the written budget? Well, we started that in the first year. I think we made attempts at it early on, but really where we started recognizing, and when I say we, I really mean it. I started recognizing problems with our cash flow. It was probably around, I don't know, the third year of our marriage. And anyway, so we started doing budgets more regularly then, but it's never been a consistent thing. Okay. Are your bills current? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, Anything else I need to know about that? And again, I'm sure that we could, I could learn a whole lot more about each of these, but I want to, I'm trying to get the big picture here right now. My big concern with our finances is that we are, while it's not like they're getting ready to shut off our electricity or anything like that, we have significant amounts of debt. Okay. Can you, when you say, can you give me a rough idea of what that means? What is significant amount to you? We have $40,000 worth of debt. For what kind of things? Some school. some school loans, car. Um, car. We have credit card debt. What would the, about how much would the credit card debt be? That's in the neighborhood of eight to nine thousand. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll come back and uh, probably ask some more questions on that later. Let's move on. Um, Deb, on your uh, sheet. Uh, the first question asked, what is the main problem as you see? What brings you here? You said, we fight a lot. It seems like we don't even like each other that much anymore. Would you explain that to me in a little more detail? Well, we used to really enjoy each other's company. And just being around each other was really fun and everything. And I guess we just, I mean, like Trace said, we fight all the time with little things. And it's just not pleasant anymore. And it seems like how, how long has that been fight. true? How long has that been true? I don't know. Probably. You've been married about four and a half years now. Yeah, the last half of it or so. A couple years or so. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. All right. Are you able to identify any contributing factors to that? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, like we said, it just seems to be. All the stupid little things, too. I mean, big things, yes, but little things. So it's not like he always leaves the toilet seat up, and so therefore we have a terrible marriage. I mean, I just, I I don't know of one thing that is causing any of this. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, either one of you, what's another issue that you're grappling with, another agenda item, or maybe another area where you would say we need some help here? The issue of having children, and this is tied to the finances. Deb wants to have children right away, and I look at our finances and I say that's impossible. We can't do that. That's part of the reason why she wants to quit her job. And anyway, that's that's a big issue. Um, and so there's, I'm gathering from your comments, there's agreement that you both want to have children someday. It's just about the timing of it. Yeah, I, I want to have kids, but right now, if we had kids, I mean, I'd have to get a second job. Do you believe that? I, I agree with that. Okay. In your home, who pays the bills? Deb does. How long have you been doing that? I've been doing it since we got married. And she does a good job of that. She she stays on top of the bills. It's not like we're paying late fees on our credit cards or, or we're paying late fees on electricity yeah. and that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, which one of you would have the best grasp of the family's financial condition? I'd say I have a better grasp of the big picture. Deb is good at the day-to-day stuff, but in terms of where we stand long-term and how we're going to get rid of the debt that we've got, I don't think she even thinks about that. Would you agree that he would have a a better grasp of the big picture of the family finances? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's the day-to-day stuff, though, that is real. Though I mean, obviously we can't pay off all of that right away. We have to do it day by day. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, other issues. Well, there there is the issue. I know we've already talked about our family, but the issue of what we're going to do uh, for holidays and stuff like that, and, and just whenever. We've got vacation time. Her family likes to go up to Wisconsin, the north woods of Wisconsin, and do like a, a week-long thing there. Well, I just I feel like we've got no individual time. There's no private time that we've got. Well, but that, we could have private time and stuff, but you like to work late a lot. Well, I think I'm forced to work late. Okay, explain that, Deb. What do you mean that he works late? Well, I mean, in his comment that we don't have time together. That, well, we could, but he just spends a lot of time at the office. How many hours a day is he working typically? Well, I guess he doesn't really come home till like, 7, 7.30. And what time do you start in the morning? I start at 8. Okay. So I don't really see him much in the morning and then comes home really after supper time. And And that is a problem. Mm -hmm. That is a problem, but... Now, what's the problem? That you're working overtime? Or that you're not seeing each other much? That that we're not seeing each other much. But the reason I work overtime and my company allows that is so that we can get some kind of jump start on this debt. 
Well, and the hard thing too, though, is that he comes home and, you know, we could have a couple hours together and just, you know, but he turns the TV on. So the TV is on and then we don't really spend the time that we could have talking to each other and so, I don't know. Do you watch TV most evenings? Yeah. Okay. And about how many hours would you spend watching TV? I don't know. A couple. Do you watch it with him? Yeah, sometimes. Back in the early days of your marriage, did you do that? I, I, I'd say that that's been a pretty consistent yeah, thing. I guess so. I mean, but I would get home earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about a moment ago, you said something about we don't have time apart from her family. Um, how many times in an average week would you uh, be with her family? We see him at least twice a week. And it, it's rare that uh, I'll come home and she either her mom or her dad or both of them will be at the house or uh, she'll be talking to him on the phone. How, how many times in an average week would your folks be at your house? I guess they don't really come to the house so much as we go over there, or I'll go over there. No, but how many right. times on a normal week would they be at your house? Would they come to our house? Yeah. I would say maybe twice a month. Twice a month? They're there more than that. I mean... How many times do you think it would be in a normal week? I would say it's probably about twice a week. That's, you it's, come twice a week? They're there a lot. Okay, and how often do you think, would you say you go to their house... In a normal week. Uh, I guess I was thinking once or twice I would go over there. Well, how often do you think she goes over there? She, she's over there probably. I agree with that. I agree with what she says. Okay. And are you talking to your parents almost every, your family almost every day? I don't know every day. Maybe every other. Okay. Would you talk to them at work? when you're there. Well, I email. Yeah. Okay. All right, what other issues are there you'd want to put on the list here? Well, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but um, I am very dissatisfied with our sex life. Okay. Describe your well, marriage. it's non-existent. How long has that been true? For a couple of years. I mean, if we're lucky if it's once a month. I think we, there was one point in the last couple of years where we didn't have, we had sex once in like three months. Um, and that's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. He says that the, the, air, the matter of frequency has been an issue for the last couple of years. Would you agree? Yeah. Is that because you're not interested in her or you're not interested in him or one's being unresponsive to the other? Or? I would say that she's never interested in sex. I mean... Well, I mean, it's hard when we're just fighting all the time. And it's hard to be emotionally intimate with somebody, and that's 
what matters for sex for me. I mean, it's not. I just don't flip a switch and it's on. I mean, it's like. And I know that women work differently than men, but I I have a hard time with understanding that your switch is never on. Were the, were the two of you um, sexually active prior to marriage? We never had sex, but I mean, we kissed and stuff. We yeah. kissed, and, and we probably did more than we should have. Okay. But we never had intercourse. Okay. Um. How long, or has this issue of the the frequency, the sexual relationship, has this been discussed? Yeah, we've talked about it. I mean, that's one of the things that we fight about. Okay. And has has there been any change as a result of your discussions or your fights? She always says that, uh, well, we're not doing it tonight because of this, because we've been fighting. Mm-hmm. And... It seems like the more we talk about it, the less likely it is that we're going to do it, mm-hmm. because it's she's just not interested. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and there are times too when I I would, but it's like the TV is on and the TV seems to be more interesting than doing something with me, so we don't. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I'll come back and maybe ask it a little bit more. Let me. I, I've got to move on here. Uh, on both of your forms, you mentioned that you had been in counseling previously with a, uh, a doctor here in the area. Describe for me um, what the diagnosis was, or just tell me about that experience and what, what came out of it. Um, from my perspective, yes. it was a big waste of time. Now, you had about how many sessions? Uh, August, October? Probably went. I don't know, seven times, eight times, something like that. Okay. And why do you think it was a waste of time? Well, well, we spent a whole lot of time talking to her. She didn't seem to talk to us very much. Yeah, so. and, and it was like she encouraged us to fight more. I mean, she encouraged us to, to get our feelings out everything. there. And, and she talked about needing to meet one another's felt needs and... Um, I don't know. It, it it just it was like we went just to to vent, and nothing really got solved. Yeah. Do you agree with what he's saying? So you don't, you don't view it as being particularly productive. But either. you wanted to stay well, in it. Well, I was hoping that she would say something one of these days that would make sense, and we could really use it, and it would make things better. But. Yeah, I guess, I mean, looking back on it, she really didn't help us very much. And nothing really changed in our house. It was the same. Okay. All right, any other issues that you want to put on the the agenda list right now? I mean, we can add things in the future, but anything you want to tell me right now in our first get-together here? I'd say those are the major ones. Okay. Deb, what about you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I wish uh, I had a little more time to keep talking on in this vein, but uh, due to the schedule right today, I, I can't do that. Uh, let me respond, if I could, to what you've told me today. And um, 
As we've gone along today, I have found myself uh, thinking two or three things about you folks. Uh, number one, uh, I'm sure glad you've come in. Uh, you seem like a uh, nice uh, young couple, and uh, I'd much rather talk to people in the early years of their marriage. I'd rather talk to you now, four and a half years into your marriage, than ten years from now, for, if you last that long, fourteen and a half years into your marriage. So I find myself uh, wanting to help you at this point. Okay. Uh, so number two, I'm uh, saddened by what you've told me today because this is uh, not the way God intended marriage to be. Right? A third thing I found myself thinking was uh, the Bible has answers for these. The way I took notes, I've got uh, eight different issues you've talked to me about today. And I found myself thinking, you know, the Bible's got answers for every one of those, and I know where they are. And I would like to help you folks get those answers. Okay. And um, if you were to give me the privilege of working with you, and I hope you will, um, I would try to show you how to get those answers from the Scriptures. In fact, let me just take a moment and... I want to use the whiteboard. Let me just describe for you in kind of broad brush strokes how I would uh, try to minister to you and help you with these issues if you come back. Because uh, you already know you have to make some adjustments with your work schedule to come here. And if you're going to come back, you certainly have a right to know what you're getting into. So let me take a few minutes to explain, first of all, why I think I can help you and then how I would go about doing that. Okay, and that maybe use the whiteboard. Maybe that would make it a little easier for me. Okay, um, first of all, uh, I want to emphasize that I am actively uh, convinced that there's a, a God in heaven and He's alive and well today. All right. And one of my great joys of being a biblical counselor is being a representative of that God and to use his word to minister to hurting people like you. All right? The God of the Bible, the God of the universe, has created, has communicated himself to us in three ways. One is through creation. We can look out at the world and learn something about what God is like from his creation, his power and his glory and his might. Uh, his second way of communicating to us was through his son, Jesus Christ. And um, he was God in the flesh. And he modeled for us how to handle life and the problems of life as God wants us to. God's final and complete revelation to us is through his word, the Bible. And my Bible is on my desk, not as a paperweight, but that is the primary tool that I will use in helping you folks if you would give me the privilege of working with you. Now, if you were to sit and read the Bible and just think about it, what it teaches us in broad brush strokes about approach to life, uh, there's two themes that run all through the scriptures that I think speak directly to you folks and have a lot to say, particularly in this uh, our first get-together. One of the themes is this. The Bible teaches that God wants us to do what is right. Doing what's right means that we think the way God wants us to think and we act the way God wants us to act. As you know, God was the design engineer on human beings. God has designed us in such a way 
that when we do what he wants us to do, when we do what when we do what he wants us to do with the motive he wants us to have, certain things happen. For example, when we do what's right for the right reasons, right for the right reasons we tend to feel good we tend to feel happy we tend to have peace of heart we tend to feel like our life is being blessed and our load in life tends to get lighter now let me see if I can prove that from the Bible in John chapter 13 Jesus Christ is in the upper room with the disciples it's just hours before he's betrayed and then crucified He looks back over three, three and a half years of life and ministry with the disciples. And in John 13, 17, he says this, Happy are you if you do these things I've taught you. Now, it's interesting. He didn't say, Happy are you if you know these things. He said, Happy are you if you do these things I've taught you. Or in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 25, James is talking about our approach to the scriptures. And he says, If we will be the kind of person who follows through on the Bible. We're not a forgetful hearer, but we're the kind of person who will do what the Bible says. He says we'll be blessed in the doing of the word. Um, In Romans chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, there will be glory and honor and peace for every soul of man who does good to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. And then one of my favorite verses that I think has great hope for you folks today is in Matthew 11. And Jesus Christ is speaking. Here's what he says. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think of those verses, how that kind of describes you. Those of you who are burdened or heavy laden. That's kind of what I've sensed as you folks have talked today. Jesus says, come unto me. He says, um, uh, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. And as we've been talking today, I found myself thinking, that's what both of you would like. Wouldn't that be something? To have rest in your soul and to have rest at peace with each other? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And Jesus Christ says, come unto me, that's what I give. Well, there's another theme that we need to talk about. The Bible says that if we do what's wrong, certain things happen. And all of us can do what's wrong in two different ways. For example, one way of doing what's wrong is what's called sins of commission. That's where we do things that we shouldn't do. All right? Or sins of omission. That's where we don't do what we should have done. Alright? Now, the Bible teaches that if we do what's wrong, either way, certain things happen, such as this. When we 
idea what's wrong in either format here. God has designed us in such a way that we feel bad, we feel sad, we tend to feel depressed, we tend to feel guilty. Life just gets hard. Now let me see if I can prove that from the Bible. Um, There's a verse in the Old Testament. I'm going to quote half of the verse. And this is one of those kind of verses that the minute I quote it, you can memorize it. You ready? It's the last half of Proverbs 13 to 15. Here's what the scripture says. The way of a transgressor is hard. Say that with me, would you? The way of a transgressor is hard. Now, the word transgress means to do what is wrong. It means to violate God's principles. And God says to us, when any of us violate his principles, life just gets tough. Okay? The, the, the psalmist in Psalm 32.10 puts it this way. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Paul talked about it in the New Testament this way in Romans 2.9. He said there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. Now you may say, okay, now what's that have to do with you thinking you can help us? Well, here's what it means. When uh, uh, when I came in today and uh, I saw my schedule that I had a had a new case getting started, I made an assumption about you folks even before I read your information, and it turns out the assumption was true. I assumed that you folks were coming to see me today and talk to me here because you had been living with some feelings like these. Now, I assume that about you because I've been in the people helping business now about almost 30 years. So far, nobody's made an appointment to come tell me how happy they are. (laughs) And I just figured you folks weren't going to be the first ones here today. All right? So in my mind, I just worked backwards. I said, okay, Trey and Deb, whoever they are, are coming to see me because they're living with feelings like these. They don't want to keep doing that. And in my mind, I reason this way. If they will be open and honest and answering questions, and I, I sense that you have been, then by God's grace, through my knowledge of the scriptures and through God helping me, I'll be able to identify in their lives where they've been doing some things they shouldn't be doing. And I'll also be able to identify where they're not doing some things they ought to be doing. That's why I, I was found myself thinking a little bit ago, the longer you talk, the more convinced I became I could help you. Because the longer you talk, the longer my sheets got here, the clearer this became for me. And if you will come back and give me the opportunity to work with you, we'll have to spend some time talking about what's wrong. Because it's tough to fix something if you don't know what's wrong with it. Right. Right? But where we'll spend the bulk of our time is not focusing on what's wrong, but we're going to talk about what is right. And as you give me the opportunity of working with you, talking about what is right, I will try to do two things for you that maybe nobody's ever done before. Now, if they have, you haven't talked about them today. Uh, The first thing I'll try to do is not only tell you what is right, but I'll give you precise, practical steps on how to do what is right. For, For example... Neither one of you would be helped today if I just exhorted you to be better. You know, be a better husband to your wife. Be a better wife to your husband. Well, that doesn't help you. Right. Okay. I mean, you need more than just being cranked up or exhorted. But think of it this way. If over here is what a godly marriage is like, if over here is what it means to live with one another in a knowledgeable way, if over here it means to live with each other in such a way 
that you have the kind of marriage that God intended for you to have, the kind that brings honor and glory to God and brings joy to you. If that's over here, but you're over here, the question is, how do we go from where we are to where we want to be? How do we go from where we are to where God wants us to be? Okay. Well, I've given my life to studying the scriptures so that I can help people like you to go from here to here. And if you will give me the opportunity of working with you, I will spell out what this looks like so we know what we're headed toward, but I'll also give you practical, precise steps on how to get there. Okay? Okay. Um, the second thing that I will do for you that maybe nobody's done before is not only give you precise, practical steps on how to get to where God wants you to be, but the second thing is I will hold you accountable to take those steps. All right? Uh, that's what we call accountability. Uh, it's what we call uh, good pastoring or one anothering. I mean, the Bible's got several phrases that could relate to that. God has wired me to be the kind of person who loves to help people like you who've told me the kind of sad story you've told me today. I love to help people like you go from where you are to where God wants you to be. And as you listen to the scriptures and obey it and follow through on what I explained to you from the scriptures and show you how to put it into practice, as you take those steps, I could probably become your biggest cheerleaders in life because I love to see people like you grow and change. All right? On the other hand, if I explain to you that this is what your marriage could be like, this is what God wants it to be. You both tell me you're Christians. This is what God wants you to be doing. And if I show you how to get there and you don't take those steps, then I understand the Bible to teach that what God would want me to do is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort you with long suffering. Or, to put it simply, to go after you about it. Okay. All right? And I will tell you, I will do that without a moment's hesitancy. Out of my love for God and my determination to be a biblical minister, but also because of what is beginning today to be my love for you folks and desire to see you grow and change. And the good news for you folks is, if after learning what is right, and after learning how to get right in your marriage, if you will follow those steps, then you can feel good, and you can be happy. And there can be peace at your house where... Now there's arguing. And there can be peace in your hearts where now there's unrest. And for sure, your load in life would be a lot lighter than it is right now. Because it strikes me that the way you guys are living is pretty heavy. Yeah. Now that's why I think I could help you and how I would go about doing that. Any questions about that? Okay. Let me move on then. If we were to make the most progress in the least amount of time, which is what I think you'd be interested in, um, I would need or want three things from you folks. All I can do is ask for them. I can't make you give them to me. The first one would be what what we call a learner spirit. A learner spirit basically means that you're open and teachable. A learner spirit means, Trey, you come looking for answers for you. And if I want to teach you sometime something from the scriptures, your attitude is you're open, you're teachable, you're looking for answers. You won't interrupt me and say, hey, have I told you about the last thing she did this last week? And you try to get me redirected toward toward her. Uh, if uh, a learner spirit means, I can talk to you about you. 
Now, it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything I say. I mean, if you differ with me, well, fine, talk about it. I mean, I welcome that. That doesn't bother me. But it means you come looking for answers for you personally. Probably you both have figured out by now, I would hope, if you seem pretty bright people, have you figured out that you can't change her? Yeah. Have you figured out you can't change him? Okay, well, let's, don't come in here then and try that. But you know what? The truth is God wants you, each of you to work at changing yourself. So that means you bring that attitude to this process. You're looking for answers for you. Learner spirit. Okay. Second, we need the learner spirit to be manifested in a willingness to do homework. Now, both of you are college graduates, so uh, this shouldn't be a nasty word for you folks. Um, if you don't like the word homework, we can call it growth projects or we'll put some other name to it, but homework is kind of what it is. Okay. And each week I'm going to write out some things for you on a little ship, slip of paper like this. And um, I have found that the people who work the hardest at the homework are the people that change the fastest. Okay. So things can progress in your marriage about as fast as you want them to. All right, And a lot will hinge on how you work at this. And so I exhort you to go home and get started on it right away after each of our sessions. The third thing I would need from you is just some time. <clears throat> and I don't know how long uh, I will need to work with you um, because partly because I don't know how hard you're going to work. But if I assume that you're going to work hard and um, based on what you've told me today, and I know you may want to add some things later, but based on what you've told me today, my guess is that I'll want to talk to you maybe 9, maybe 11, maybe 13 times. My point is I'm not talking about years and years. I'm not even really talking about months and months. I mean, uh, this is the uh, late winter. I'm talking about uh, the spring of... Uh, this year been a whole lot better than the spring of last year was, I'll bet. And I'm talking about this summer probably being the best summer of your marriage, if you'll listen to the scriptures. So could I expect a learner spirit from you? Yes. <coughs> could I expect that from you? Yes. Wonderful. Will you commit to doing homework yes. well? Yes. Will you commit to doing it well? Yes. Very good. And would you give yourself some time, arrange your schedule so you can come regularly for at least 9 to 11, 13 sessions if necessary? Yeah. All right. Very good. And you? All right. Wonderful. Okay. Now let me um, write out a couple of things here real quickly. Okay, let's see if I can read my brief there real quick. 
Our time is almost gone. Uh, in the future, I'd like you to bring your Bibles to all future sessions. We're going to use those, so be sure to bring those with you. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> number two, I'd like you to keep a log on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of the topic of your arguments. Just each of you do that. You don't have to talk about it. Just write it on a little 3 by 5 card or a slip of paper or something you can give me next time. <clears throat> Number three, I want each of you to read this pamphlet called What to Do When Your Marriage Goes Sour. This is wonderful. It's been used to help uh, thousands and thousands of couples. I want you to read it very carefully, and I want each of you to underline what you think are the ten most helpful sentences in that pamphlet. I don't want nine. don't want eleven. Let's get ten. Okay. And then bring those back with you. It's very important that you bring it back next week so we can discuss your sentences. Okay, now read it carefully looking for answers. Uh, next assignment is I want each of you to plan to have one date per week alternating responsibility um, as long as I'm talking with you. <clears throat> and Trey, you'll be in charge of the date this week. Now, okay. let me give you a definition. For my purposes, a date is defined as a pleasing activity lasting at least two hours and without children. All right? So that means that this week you have to plan a pleasing activity, something you know that she will enjoy that lasts at least two hours. You notice there's nothing said about money. So you don't have to, you can do a lot of fun things without money. If you got some money, it gives you options. But you got to plan a pleasing activity. For the two of you, something you know will please her. You're in charge of it this week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your responsibility, <clears throat> Deb, is to mark the family calendar. And I want you to mark this past Sunday, put a, a T on that this past Sunday, this coming Sunday, you put a D. Then just go through the rest of the calendar, T, D, T, um, D. Mark off the, you know, the first initial of your name. Because any week that begins with your initial means you're in charge of the date that week. So he's in charge this week. Next week, you're in charge. Okay. This will change how you read the, the newspaper. You know, you open it up and you'll see the spring flower and patio shows coming and you can take her to that. She'll be surprised. She would be playing with that date. Of course, sometime, Dad, you can be leafing through the paper and you'll see the monster truck shows coming to town. And you can get tickets and take him to that. All right. Now, notice this next one. I want each of you to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 at least three times during the week. I'm expecting you to do that separately by yourself. That's one message called the Sermon on the Mount. It's very important, and that will form the basis of our teaching time next week. And I will say to you, the principles that can absolutely transform your lives and your marriage are found in that passage. So read it looking for help. Okay. Each day you read, I want you to record the day and time and the most meaningful verse. Next, I want you to learn and be ready to quote, word perfect, Matthew 7, 24-27. It's a well-known passage. You probably know half of it already. So get to work on it, though, right away. And then I want you to attend at least one service per week here at our church. And uh, we've got multiple services. There's home Bible studies. I want you coming to one of the events here per week. Now, the reason for that is this church specializes in helping people to solve problems. That's part of the reason there's a counseling center with free counseling. The teaching you will get in these public services will help us to make quicker progress. You can still keep going to your church. That's that's fine. But when you come in here, at least one service per week. Okay. Does this look doable for you folks this week? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. 
Well, I'm looking forward to working with you. Let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll we'll let you go. And be sure to reschedule your appointment with the secretary down at the, the desk when you leave, okay? Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of uh, working with Trey and Deb. And, Lord, I am so excited to see what you're going to do in their lives in the future. Help them to be diligent in their homework, and I pray that the Spirit of God would uh, minister to them and begin changing them for your honor and glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. We'll let you go. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. All righty. <clears throat> let me make uh, some general um, observations about what you viewed. I've got five things I want to say. Uh, number one, the counseling session that you just watched was 63 minutes long. And um, I don't think it was a perfect counseling session. I'd describe it as a good one. Uh, but I think it should show you that from the time somebody walks in until 63 minutes later, a lot can get done in about one hour. If you've got a plan and you work it, okay? Number two, um, what you watched is what I would view as a typical session number one for me. I would call that vanilla Randy Patton counseling. Like it or not, you come to me for session one, that's about what you get, okay? Number three uh, comment, uh, the first time I watched this um, several years ago, I remember how I groaned through the the session, and I learned three things when I watched this the first time. I was reminded of it again as I watched it now. Number one, or I, I was un- totally unaware of how much time I'm looking down taking notes. I take good notes, but the price tag for that is the counselees are looking at the top of my head instead of my face. And I was, I was totally unaware of that. And second, um, I usually prepare the homework or the change and growth plan I have a tentative one going into the session, and then I fill it out or complete it during the session. During this particular session, I don't know what happened. I just totally spaced that. And I think that is the longest 78 seconds of silence in recorded history. (laughs) Every time I watch that, I'm thinking, oh, glory. (laughs) And then... uh, first time I watched it, the third thing I learned was how thin my hair on top was getting. (laughs) And as you know, that has continued. (laughs) Uh, The fourth comment I want to make is your response as you watched was typical. And by that I mean, I mean, you laughed or there was audible responses at times. And I don't say this critically. I mean, just we're but it's just very typical. What happened in this room, as you watched, is typical. The comment I want to make is, you wouldn't have laughed if you were sitting in the room at the end of the table. And where you could see the tears, feel the tension, and so forth. A lot can be learned watching DVDs like this. And we're blessed in our day and time with multiple ones that you can watch, and a lot can be learned from those. But nothing takes the place of sitting in the room watching somebody live trying to help somebody using the Bible. So my exhortation is that you 
try to get live observation with somebody. And ideally, you'd be able to watch an ACBC certified counselor. But uh, if there's nobody close to you or you don't know anybody like that, uh, then I would encourage you to match up with somebody in your church and you say, look, I'll sit in and watch you, you know, from uh, 6.30 to 8 o'clock and then you can watch me from 8.30 to, to 10 or, you know, change back and forth. And uh, even today, after all the, the sessions that I've done, when I get to sit in on an actual case and watch another counselor at work, it's good for me. And um, so watch videos if you can, but better to get in a situation and uh, to be able to watch somebody else, ideally somebody with a little more experience than you. And then number five, I want to address the most commonly asked question after people watch this, and the question is, was this a real counseling session? And I want to answer it with three comments. Number one, it was a real session from my side of the desk. By that I mean, um, I didn't know Trey and Deb. I mean, I knew them to recognize. I, had, I didn't have any kind of relationship with them. I just happened to know who they were. And they attended a different church than I uh, did. And um, I knew the session was going to be videoed. And at that time, we were hoping that if the videos turned out okay, that maybe it would become a teaching tool that we could use. And uh, they filled out a PDI, just like ordinary counselees did, and a uh, basic information sheet. The secretary put it in a folder like she did every other one, and she just brought it to my office and said, here's Trey and Deb, it's a marital case. She turns and walks out just like she did with others. So I read the information just like I did with others. Uh, <clears throat> I want to say that the session was not scripted in any way. Um, they had no idea the questions I was going to ask, and I had no idea what they were going to say. Um, since that was done, there's been two or three, a couple times when I have seen Trey and I've told him that I was using the DVD to show in conferences where I was teaching. And I kept telling him, I said, people keep asking, was this a real session? And I told him, I tell him from my side of the desk, it was real. I mean, it was just, it went down the way it would ordinarily go down at the counseling center for me. But I asked him, I said, was it real from your side of the desk? And I said, were you telling me about you and Deb, or were you talking, did you guys take on the, the lives and circumstances of your brother and his wife? I mean, who were you talking about? And both times he just smiled at me and said, well, it was a little bit of both. And then he walks away. So that's all I know I can tell you on that. So. Now, I exhorted you as we got ready to start to watch the key elements. So let me kind of walk you through some of these and make some observations. For the first key element of the counseling process is you, you need to gather information. <clears throat> Did you note, note that because I had the basic information sheet and the PDI ahead of time and had read it, it put me on first base gathering information? Did you observe that? So uh, that's a real help. And my exhortation to you is that you use the personal data inventory. You've been given one in your training here. Um, you make copies of that. And you give those to people that are requesting counseling that you don't know. So if people from the community are requesting counseling, you don't know them, or you're in a bigger church and you don't know some of the people that are in the church that are asking for counseling. If you don't know people, 
you can give them a personal data inventory. But listen to me, do not give the PDI to people you know or certainly to family members because it'll be offensive because it asks for name, address, phone number, uh, uh, name of the children, and so forth. And if you start handing out the PDI to people you know, it'll be offensive. I mean, they're going to say, okay, so you go to a counseling conference and now you're handing out forms. And uh, it'll be a major turnoff, so don't do that. The basic information sheet, uh, I'm used to having it printed on pink paper, so I end up calling it the pink sheet. But it asks five key questions. Question one is, what's the main problem as you see it? What brings you here? Question two, what have you done about it? Question three, what do you want us to do about it? Question four, describe yourself. What kind of a person are you? Question five, is there any other information we should know? And uh, with that information, if your people are requesting counseling you don't know, I would encourage you to send both of them. And my custom is when I'm starting a new case, I mean, I sort through all the paperwork and the things that they're asked to sign. And I'm looking for the pink sheets and I put those out and I read those first because I want to know, I mean, what's this about? Is this about pornography, alcohol, fear, worry, anxiety, immorality? I mean, marriage, communication, I mean, what are we going to be talking about? And the pink sheet helps you to get your head kind of in the ballpark about what the, the topic's going to be. So you can use the pink sheet even with people you know. And, for example, my custom was when I was a pastor, sometimes people would come up to me after service and they'd say, hey, pastor, we really, we really need to talk to you. We've got a, our teenagers driving us nuts right now. And we'd like to talk to you about it. And I'd say, okay, let me go get my calendar. And I'd go get my calendar, and I would get a couple of the pink sheets and say, here, fill these out, bring these back tonight. And uh, then we'll talk to you on Thursday afternoon or something. So my custom, my exhortation to you is use the printed forms to get as much information as you can prior to the session. Now, further, I would advise you to not schedule counseling sessions until after you've received the information back. And uh, <clears throat> oftentimes people will say, listen, man, I need to talk to you right away. I mean, things are a mess at our house. And I want to encourage you, particularly, this is track one. I mean, you're beginners in biblical counseling. I know some of you have a little bit of experience, but you're in track one. And you want time to prepare, to get your head together. And I think a very practical way for you to demonstrate love for God manifested in love for people is you say to people, what you want to talk about is so important, I want to come well prepared. And I've got to have at least two days to get, get, get well prepared. So... The way to do it is to say, get the forms back to me, and after I get the forms back, then we will schedule the appointment. If you don't do that, and I would tell you to be hard-nosed about it, and just say, listen, I want to serve you well, and in order for me to serve you well, I've got to have the, the forms at least 48 hours ahead of time. The temptation is, out of your desire and your willingness to help people, people come and say, I need help, and you say, man, okay, uh, let, let's talk... Uh, Let's talk, uh, let's talk on Wednesday, and, but here, fill out these forms, get them back to me. They say, oh, yeah, I'll get them back to you. They won't. They won't. What they'll do is they'll bring them to the session about half filled out and hand them to you. All right? You're already nervous. What are you going to do then? All that does is just heighten the tension and makes you less prepared to minister to them well. So the key is, they're going to use the forms, hand them out, say, get them back to me, and then we will schedule the session. All right, moving on. 
talking about gathering data. Did you notice both extensive and intensive data gathering? Extensive is where you're gathering information about big major areas of life, what can sometimes be called the circle of life. Intensive data gathering is where you're asking multiple questions in one area. And then uh, my final comment on gathering data, what you observed is I gathered data for 38 minutes in this particular DVD. The most, one of the most common errors that beginning biblical counselors make is spending too little time gathering data. They're, they're way too quick to start telling people how to rearrange their thinking, rearrange their behavior. And um, I've told many, many people, I think the most frequently violated scripture by beginning biblical counselors is Proverbs 18, verse 13. That verse says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And uh, I've listened to recordings of people pursuing certification where 12 minutes after starting to gather data, they asked the counselee to open their Bible and they started giving them direction. And in the next supervision call, what happens is I ask them to open their Bible. Would you please read Proverbs 18:13 for me? Would you tell me what that verse means? Then would you tell me how that relates to what happened in your counseling session? And uh, I call them to repent because I think you violated the scriptures. So clear. So as a rule of thumb, as an attempt to help you, I'd offer this suggestion. In session number one, your data gathering probably ought to be around 45 minutes. Okay, just general rule of thumb, be in that kind of a ballpark. Okay, first key element in the counseling process is gathering information. The second one is discerning the problems or defining the problem biblically. Now, did you notice that the way I took notes, I was able to say at one point in the session that they had listed eight different problems where they needed help, okay? So, and I have found that being able to say to the counselees, make that statement to them about how many problems we've talked about, that, that has a way of building involvement and giving hope to them because it, it communicates, I think, that I listened but it also communicates that I'm organized. And oftentimes when people come for counseling, it's like they're in a fog. They're just overwhelmed. They just, they just don't know what to do. And when you start manifesting clarity through being organized or through a, a number like that, I think for many people they view it as you cutting through the fog. Okay, he's saying some things, man, eight? I didn't know there were eight. And so it's a way of giving hope. So let me tell you what I do or what I did in that session to be able to say that. If you were to look at my notes from that session, after I listened to their life history, and if you go back and watch the DVD again, at one point I said, okay, I'm going to start, and I'm I'm overt about it. I draw a line clear across my notes, and I said, I'm going to start a thing here, and I call issues. And on my notes it just says issues, colon, underneath number one. And I usually start by asking the husband or going off his pink sheet, whatever the main issue was. And if you were to look at my notes, out to the left of number one, in the left column, it says capital T. That means Trey told me this. So I write out what he said. And then later, down underneath that, indented, there's a capital D dash. Here's what Deb said about his number one. Okay. Then I go to number two, 
And usually I'd go from the husband to the wife, but with them, he gave me both one and two. So out besides number two, there's a capital T. Here's what he told me about issue number two. Underneath it, indented, capital D, or the letter D. Here's what she told me about that. Then number three, out beside it, has got a capital D. Deb gave me that one. Okay? So I'm just going down through it. Just as we move from issue to issue, I'm just making a list. And I'm also making a note of who told me uh, that particular one. And as I'm taking notes, if they make a statement that I think is particularly important, I will try to write it out word for word and put quotation marks around it. In the way I take notes, if quotation marks are around it, you said it. And sometimes, after a few sessions, you will go back and you want to quote what a counselee said to help build the guilt and bring them to the point of repentance on something because sometimes people <clears throat> in the the heat of the moment, you know, and the, the energy's flowing and the mouth is running, sometimes the heart is revealed. And um, so that's the way I did it. I was teaching uh, and taught this same principle at another conference, <clears throat> and a lady came up to me and talked to me afterwards, and she said she thought the, the way I took the notes was interesting, but she said, I do something different. And I said, well, tell me what you do. And she says, I, I take notes uh, typing, and she says, I just listen, and she says, I just type away. I don't pay any attention about spelling, about grammar, and notation. I just type away. And she says, <clears throat> what I like to do is the next day, I just kind of like to let 24 hours go by, and then I sit down, kind of when the things have settled a little bit, and then I go back through my notes, and I try to organize them and kind of put them in an outline and so forth that way. And my response to her was, well, if you've got time to do that, God bless you. I don't have time to do that. I mean, I've got to get it while they're sitting in front of me. Just due to my schedule and obligations, i got to get it right then. And so the system I talked to you about that I just mentioned um, works for me, and I think would work for you if you worked at it a little bit. Now, the third and fourth key elements of the, the counseling process is we must build involvement or gain involvement. And gaining involvement means that as counselors, we do some things on purpose to try to establish the kind of relationship with the counselee where they will not just tell us what their issues are, but then they're going to let us tell them what to do about the issues. That's what involvement means. And then we also, number four, we need to give hope. And hope for a Christian is the optimistic confidence, the settled confidence that if I will hear and obey God's word, my life will be better in the future. Right? We want to build that kind of hope. So now I want to hear from some of you, and I want you to think about what you saw, what you heard, and I want you to think back now and see if you can identify what are some things you heard me say or heard me do or watched me do that looking back you would interpret, okay, that was probably an attempt to build involvement, or to give hope. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and then I want you to identify one. I don't want five from one person, but just if you've got, if you see one, and then uh, I'll try to repeat it so everybody can hear. All right, so what did you see or hear me doing that you thought was an attempt to build involvement? You said you were really glad that they came in. Okay, stating that I was glad they came in, Yes. Okay. Directing them to the scriptures and uh, assuring them that God's word has answers. Yes, over here. Um, you basically gave them an opportunity to 
Say that last part. He dedicated. Yeah. Okay. And then the invitation to encourage them to come back. Because you realize in biblical economy, people don't have to come see us. I mean, they, they come by their choice. All right. Yes, brother. Yeah. Expressing sadness over their circumstances and empathy. All right. Somebody else. Yes, right here. Okay, I described what they could expect coming back, and I do think that builds involvement. And particularly, did you notice as they described their previous counselor? It's, they were going to what's called a non-directive counselor. And in that model of counseling, basically people are taught that the answers to people's problems are in them, and the counselor's role is just to get the answers to bubble to the surface. But we believe the opposite of that. We believe that the answers to people's problems are outside of them and that they need Christ and the scriptures, you see. So by being direct like that, with a couple like that, you notice how different that was from what they had, and I think in that particular case would build involvement. Yes, sir? Kept The statement about keeping them accountable. Uh, Yes, I think that does build involvement. Okay, asking them and encouraging them to be open and honest. Yes, over here. Outlining what they could expect and then encouraging them to take that step. Yes, one or two more. Yeah, okay, listening, trying to hear both sides. There's a hand there toward the back. Yes? You said you were coming to love them. Yeah, beginning to uh, have a sense of love and care. And I don't know whether it happened with any of you, but for me, that doesn't happen with all my counselees. But, I mean, there are some, like with them, I mean, I've just felt my heart being drawn toward them. So, yes, over here. Yeah, go ahead. Also, you also told them, you know, what was needed to be done right, but how they can also achieve right. Yeah, the uh, promise to show them not just what's right, but maybe just how to, to do it. One more there. Yes. Yeah, the sisters mentioned the three commitments at the end where you're asking for time or maybe for a lunar, learner spirit and willingness to do the change and growth plan or homework and then just some time and asking for those commitments up front. Next month, when you come back for your next training, I think they're going to show session number two. You'll see the significance of asking for those three commitments addressed in the counseling session. All right. All right, uh, is there one more? Right, loud, clear voice. At the end of the session, you pass out a pamphlet to each one of them, and you assure them that the information in that pamphlet had helped thousands of couples grow and change. Yeah. yeah, giving them something practical like that to read. And again, it's a pamphlet. It's not intimidating. And that pamphlet is fantastic. I just can't say enough about it. Okay, let me move on. So we've talked about uh, gathering information, discerning the problems, uh, building involvement, giving hope. Now let me talk to you about delivering instruction. 
Did you notice that I did not address their presentation problems directly in this session? And let me explain the rationale behind that. And a a, a biblical counseling principle that I would uh, encourage you to embrace is I think in session number one, you do not have to address directly the presentation issues, but you must do something to point them toward Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience. Now, I've learned over the years that one of the major causes of people who have an interest in Christ and have an interest in loving people and helping people, have an interest in biblical counseling, and people who come to conferences like this but do not end up counseling, a major cause of it is because many of them think, I have to know the Bible well enough. It doesn't matter what what they present. No matter what question they ask, I got to be able to turn to a verse or two and answer it. And I just don't, I love Jesus and I don't, I know the Bible a little bit, but I don't know the Bible that well. So they don't enter the process of trying to help people through counseling. Well, I want to speak against that and say, you don't have to know the Bible from cover to cover because in session one, you don't have to address directly what brought them in, but you've got to do something to point them toward Christ and a life of biblical obedience. With people I supervise that are pursuing ACBC certification, one of the, re, uh, one of the assignments I frequently give them when we talk about this is I assign them to determine three ways that in session number one they could point somebody toward Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience. And ideally, they ought to be of different lengths of time and... Uh, ideally, at least one of them ought to be something like a you can use a visual aid. So let me tell you what my three are. You don't use all three of these in one uh, session, but, you know, depending on your circumstances, you decide which one you want to use. So my three ways of pointing people toward Christ in a life of biblical obedience in session number one, the first one is what I call the do right, do wrong chart. That's what you saw me use on this DVD. And a copy of it's in your notes. And I will tell you, to use it effectively, I found you need to memorize the verses, and if you ask people to turn to it, you will destroy the momentum. I mean, the point won't get made. And so, but I found that is really effective. It just works for me. And um, some others have, have uh, copied it, and, and it works for them as well. But in order to do that well, you've got to have a whiteboard. And sometimes you're in a circumstance where you don't have a whiteboard. And for me, usually that takes me 10, 12. Sometimes I get wordy and it takes 15 minutes. And sometimes you don't have 10, 12, 15 minutes. So in cases like that, my second option is I use Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And this is the passage where Christ says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I just park by that passage. And I can explain that passage well in, uh, you know, seven to ten minutes. And that passage is just filled with hope. I mean, it, it is such a rich passage. It's been very meaningful to me. And this doesn't happen all the time, but it's not unusual. when If I choose to use Matthew, 7, Matthew 11, 28 to 30 with a couple, by the time I get done explaining that, the wife will be wiping tears. I mean, that is just so, there is so much hope and encouragement there. But sometimes you don't have seven, ten minutes. And uh, in cases like that, I use Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23 says, uh, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. 
a while back, I started a case with a, a lady a few years younger than than me, and she came to the counseling center and said that her friend had been telling her she should go there for years. Her presentation issue was that uh, she was struggling with anxiety, and her te- her report was she told me that she'd been on psychotropic drug for ten years. She's taken three different drugs, and she tells me I don't like the cost. There's some side effects that bother me. And she says, they really haven't solved my problem. And she says, my friend came here for counseling years ago. She keeps saying, you need to go down there and talk to the people at Faith because they're not pill pushers. That's what her friend told her. So uh, I ended up calling the woman Helen. And uh, the session just moved slow for whatever reason. We get down toward the end of the, the time, and I've got another obligation. I've got to get going, and I am get jammed up for time. And I've got just a few minutes left, and I opened my Bible to Proverbs 4.23, and I put my finger on the verse, and I handed my Bible across the room, or across the table to her, and I said, see that verse right there, it's underlined, would you read that for me? And she read the verse, and it says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. And I said, let me explain that. This was written by the wisest man who ever lived, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, he's writing to his sons about the issues of life. And he says, watch over your heart. Hello, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the muscle that pumps blood. It's talking about the core of our being, that center of our emotions. It's that part of us where we talk to ourselves at night, where we bawl ourselves out, where uh, it's the part that the Bible, God, Bible says, God looks at the heart, man looks at the outward appearance. It's the part that's most important to God. Solomon, writing to his son, says, watch over your heart, watch over your inner man, because from what's in the inner man comes all this stuff that affects you in the rest of your life. And I said, Helen, I hope you'll come back. And if you come back, I'm going to talk to you about your heart and how your heart affects the rest of your life. And she broke down and cried. And I explained it in three or four minutes. So an exhortation to you is you don't have to address directly whatever brings people in, but you've got to do something, point them toward Jesus. So I'd send you home, look at your Bible, look at verses that you've underlined, look at verses that have been meaningful to you, and just identify some, ideally get one that's got a bit of a diagram, and uh, develop a way that you can point people toward Christ. Then, during the next week, you take all your notes you go through them, review them, you organize yourself, and you come back to session two, and you are prepared. You are ready. You've got to chart toward solutions to get them growing. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Let me move on to the sixth uh, key element, and that is provide a change in growth plan, sometimes called homework. Did you notice how specific my change in growth plan was? Uh, I want you to go home remembering this major theological statement. People do not change in fuzzy land. They change in specifics. So that means you never say to a husband, treat your wife better this week. I mean, that's glittering generalities. That's fuzzy land. You say to your husband, do love three loving deeds for your wife this week over and above what you'd ordinarily do. You never say to somebody, read your Bible more often this week. You say, read... Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three times this week. Record the day and time you read. Write out the most meaningful verse. Be ready to discuss. Or Colossians or whatever you choose to use. Be specific. 
And then also I wanted to point out, did you notice that uh, the homeworkers be able to be used to gather information where I asked them to keep track of the topics of their arguments? So it's very, very helpful. So those are the key six key elements. Now let me just open it up. Uh, what questions do you have? And I'd like to have the questions about either what you saw or about counsel. I can't answer a case. I can't answer questions about a particular case you're grappling with, all right, in front of everybody here. So, but issues about what you've been taught or counseling methodology, what questions would you have or about what you saw, if any? Okay, the question is, how would you go after them uh, if they don't follow your steps? Uh, I'd want to respond two ways. Number one, come back next month and watch DVD number two. Uh, second response would be this. I think all of us have to distinguish between people that are in our circle of responsibility and in our circle of uh, concern. Um, I started working at Faith Church in Lafayette and the, a training when I was a pastor of a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And when they were people in my congregation, they were in my circle of responsibility. So when they didn't follow through or they didn't show up for a counseling session, I mean, I'm after them. When I went to Lafayette and I'm talking to people from the community that came in, if they didn't show up for a counseling session, I didn't go after them. I didn't have time to. They were in my circle of concern, but they weren't in my circle of responsibility. So I think part of it is deciding, uh, I think, as your church uh, churches establish a counseling ministry, you have a greater responsibility for the members of your church than you do for people from the area that want free biblical counseling. So there's a variation there. But with an individual counselee that doesn't follow through, well, you'll get some instruction on that next, uh, next month. Yes, sir. Yeah, the brother's asking a question about, uh, like, why Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or if it's, if it's the only one or uh, others that I use. Um, I like to use Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with uh, people that I'm confident are Christians for a couple of reasons. One is, um, it's the first major sermon that Christ preached, and depending on how you outline it, I mean, he, he addresses like 14 or 17 different topics. I mean, it's a wide-ranging sermon. So uh, I use the Sermon on the Mount the way I'm told old-time doctors used to use penicillin. It's just good for about whatever ails you. <laughs> and so uh, when people come in and they're professing Christians, I like to go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 because it's just, it just addresses so much that there's something in there for everybody. Okay? The, the second reason is it sets me up for what I want to teach in week number two. And you're going to see that um, uh, next month in DVD number two. And I want to focus on Matthew 7, 24 to 27, where Christ says, and this is his conclusion to his first major sermon, everyone who hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, 
the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not obey them is like a man who built his house on sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And what I have learned after hundreds of cases was with many, I don't don't, want to say most, but it's probably many professing Christians, as I get down the pike with them, sooner or later we're going to come to a point where I'm going to be saying, here's what the Bible says, the way you ought to think and the way you ought to act, and they're going to rationalize not obeying the Scriptures. And I've had that, it's very frustrating to me, and years ago, I just decided, I'm going to head that off at the pass. And so, you're going to see next time, in session two, I'm going to teach Matthew 7, 24 to 27. And that passage is not about building your life on Jesus the rock, and not on the sands of man's philosophies, as I've heard some counselors teaching. That is not what that's saying. That passage is saying that the person who hears the word of God and seeks to obey it, Jesus says, is wise. And Jesus says, your house, your life, will stand the storms of life. And he also says that the people who hear his word but do not obey it are fools. And when the storms of life come, there's going to be a crash, and it's going to be a big one. And so in session two, I'm used to saying to people, okay, going forward this week, you're going to be a fool or you're going to be wise? You going to hear and obey or you want to hear but not obey? And I'm heading that off at the pass. And so by assigning that in the first week in the homework, getting them reading it, it kind of sets me up for that teaching. So, But that's not the only passage I use, but I use that one a lot. I just love that chronology. And again, it just addresses so many issues. So. Okay, another question over here. Yes. So um, I heard that you were saying that you give them an expectation of how long it might take, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so what would you do in a certain sense where you have a person that kind of like wants to prolong it and keep going uh, a lot longer than what was expected? Okay, the, the question's about how would you deal with a counselee that wants the counseling to go longer than maybe you thought it would go? Um First of all, in my experience, that's rare. I mean, um, the other part is um, sometimes in counseling literature, they talk about counselee, counselor dependency. You know, people can become undue dependently, undue dependent on the counselor. And in biblical counseling, I think the solution to that is pretty simple crank up the homework. Because every time you, every time you give them a change in growth plan, you're communicating, okay, the change in growth needs to take place. Responsibility for change in growth is on this side of the desk, not my side. So, court encourage them to do that. You had a, your hand up. If this couple, or maybe you've had a couple, they have a heated exchange on the first visit. What principle do you? Okay, the brother's asking if a couple in your first session with them, they have a heated exchange in front of you. 
how, about how to handle that. Well, my custom is um, if, if they start arguing in front of me in session one or even like session maybe even two or three, I would let them typically let them go for a little bit. And um, most people behave better publicly than they do privately. And after a while, they're going to realize, oops, Randy's sitting here. We forgot about him for a moment. <laughs> and, uh, and then I would just ask, is that kind of the way it happens at home? Only worse. And um, if they start using language or they start swearing and things, I usually stop them after that because I don't want them talking about my friend like that. And, um, but, again, I operate on the principle, most people behave better publicly than they do privately. And if they'll do that in front of me, I'm thinking it's worse at home. And I would um, probably take them to, like, Ephesians 4.31, which says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And I'd call them to repent. They're Christians. And uh, kind of use it as a teaching point. So, yeah. got time for maybe one, maybe two more questions, and we're going to get you out a little bit early. Any other questions? Okay, I wanted to say it's been wonderful for me to be able to teach you folks. You've been tr- a great group. And I really want to encourage you. I hope you bought some books. Here's my exhortation to you. You know, there's a great blessing in being able to have, be able to see books like this and buying some of them. But you need to be reminded, the greater blessing is going home and starting to read them. Uh, and so uh, my encouragement to you is I would encourage you to s- set the goal that you're going to try to read 10 pages per day average in the kind of books you bought. Do you realize if you read 10 pages per day average? I know some days you can't read 10 because of your schedule and other obligations. But there's other days you read 20, 30, 40, or 50. If you read 10 pages per day average, you can finish one major book a month. And what I would encourage you to do is just keep reading in a systematic way. Keep these thoughts in front of you that, from the literature that you're bought. And then come back next week and the next, I mean, next month and the month after that. They've got a wonderful lineup of, of speakers. And you're going to really, really be benefiting from it. My final exhortation to you is this. After watching Trey and Deb... What you saw me doing, you can do. I mean, there's no magic in that. It was just a Christian listening to somebody talk about their problems and then doing something to point them toward Christ, giving them some practical things to work on. You may not be as smooth as I was. uh, It comes with experience. But you can do that, all right? And what I've learned from being at conferences like this for many years, God has a way of bringing people across your path to give you an opportunity to put into practice what you've been hearing. So leave with eyes open and ears alert to opportunities to put into practice what you've heard. Let me pray for us, and then you'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you so much for Calvary Bible Church and the uh, Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship hosting this conference. And we pray you help each of us who've been here to reflect you well as we leave and go to our various places of responsibility. Help us to be faithful in taking what we've learned and applying it to our own lives and then being alert to opportunities to minister in your name to people that are hurting. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you as you travel. Thank you.